Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Cairns and with us today we have got Matt Baker. Hi Matt. Hi Michelle, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. So uh, for people who don't know Matt already, he is originally a professional pianist and teacher and found his calling as a property developer and investor in 2015. He's the owner of Scott Baker Properties, CEO, trainer and coach of the HMO platform, co-founder and chief marketing officer of CoHome and host of the Property Jam podcast as well, which I've actually been on, and uh, not to mention the author of the book, The Next Level Landlord. So Matt, you're a busy guy. <laughs> yes, and, and not, not to mention uh, full-time award winning as well last year, which was quite quite a nice surprise. Yes, actually, I did see that on the social media, which is incredible as well. So congratulations. Thank you very much. But yes, it has been a very busy year. And to top that off, um, I have a four-week-old son as well. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> Your second, I think. I remember <laughs> uh, meeting you many years ago uh, when you yep. were kind of just starting out. It must have been around the 2015 time, actually. Um, and it's been incredible to kind of, you know, be connected with you and see your journey through through the years um so you've obviously just absolutely um been you know it's you know it's great to kind of see your progress not just in one particular area but to be developing as you know as a person I want to say (laughs) not just as an investor as well and, and obviously be recognized through the awards and and everything as well and then you know recently your book so um like let's just dive into the book because it's called the next level landlord yeah um what made you kind of um come up with that idea for the book and um uh, you know what what kind of problem are you trying to solve with it well fundamentally i think the the main reason for the book was to um was to put together all of the kind of methods that we used and at the heart of what we do in our business is put the tenants at every at the heart of every decision so we kind of like we've had this like tenant first customer first approach for quite a while something which has evolved since we started in 2015 and when we kind of hit the pandemic i'd always thought i wanted to write it down and get it into a nice concise method and uh, i need deadlines so actually saying we've got a book i had a publisher they then asked for they need to have deadlines to get things done it then helped me to really make it concise make it easy to read make it 
easy to digest uh, and easy to follow as well um, because I think a lot of books out there um, there's a lot of fluff a lot of um, yeah this is like the core message you can can be um, said in about five minutes whereas yeah. I, I thought that it would be great to have some more like a guide as well something which people could open and go actually yes I can see that this these are the steps I need to go down and I can take some action off the back of it so that's that's what I wanted to create and what uh, does so, the next level landlord mean to you? Because we are very heavily involved in HMOs and co-living, that was always the um the, the, the route that we were going to take with the book about um HMOs and co-living. But um the next level landlord could apply to any investor who's holding property. And next level landlord means that someone has a uh, well, it's in the five principles, really, of, of the tenant first method, which is they have focus on their business. They understand the ins and outs of, of the plan, the strategy, not just individual projects. Um, but then they have insight into their um, their um, the area, the, the location, the people they're letting to, the planning permissions, everything they need. They have they have uh, you know, a, a level of insight beyond just the average investor. Um, they're then able to review and deliver projects uh, with, with, with ease. Um, then they have a service-led approach to the, the way they they let their buildings, and then they have a business which can really thrive. So we're talking about the pinnacle of investment, the pinnacle of, uh, you know, it's, just, it's something to strive to, something to attain to, to be that next level landlord. And that that's why it's, it's that kind of aspirational title. Right. I mean, I see, you know, lots of people, certainly in our, you know, our community um, of property investors who certainly aspire to be the next level landlord it, it, you know they're not just there as property is you know a, a commodity that you just it just runs itself or takes care of itself certainly there's a, the business element as you say the service element there um and i see that a lot of people really struggle and it's you know they are trying to kind of manage it all themselves um, you know, I'm, I'm sure like you, I'm part of lots of like property WhatsApp groups. And it's like, oh, I can't find a plumber. How do I do this? My tenant said that. <clears throat> and they're really trying to kind of like figure everything out on their own and manage everything. So like, how does somebody kind of become, you know, that next, um, the, the, the next level of providing a service that goes beyond just, you know, like them as a person? <laughs> Um, well, it's twofold. At the end of the day, people get into property to to, to have that asset, to have that income coming out, out of those properties, ultimately to give them flexibility, choice and time. And I find a lot of people diving into it and going, OK, now I'm going to quit my job and I'm just going to focus on property. And they, they start to really resent their properties and the people living in it because they have to deal with them on a day to day basis. And maybe they're not that they're not kind of set up to be a manager yes. they don't have yes. the skills to be exactly. a manager and they think that anyone could just do it because it should be yeah. easy yeah. so one of the the big things about um an external landlord but once you've gone through all the you know, the nuts and bolts of it you know, when, when you're really looking to thrive as an external landlord as a business then um you've got to have great systems in place which involves a great team great technology and the ability to to delegate that stuff and the ability to um, allow yourself to pay for that stuff because uh, ultimately your time is the most valuable resource that you have at, yeah, at all so and um, there's no point wasting it on minutia day to day when other people can do that 
Um, so it does really confuse me. I know I, I'm in lots of WhatsApp groups as well, and I see all these things go back and forth. I'm just like, I really don't understand why that's an issue for that person, why they need to be doing this, why they need to be doing that. Because, uh, yeah, we have a team in place that deals with it. So someone else will deal with that issue, will deal with that problem. And I understand that people want to maybe, um, you know, maybe manage their first couple to really get under the skin of it, or maybe even try and um, form their own management business. But ultimately, I don't think that should be the, the CEO, the MD that's doing all the work, which essentially that's what you are as yes. the next level landlord. You are the MD of your business. You're not the lettings administrator. Yeah, that's, that is a role. And there's a great yeah. book called um, The E-Myth Revisited, yeah. which talks about how to set up a small business and why most small businesses fail. And it's about putting in place your ideal org chart so what, what is your if you're a multi-million pound business turning over you, know, you turn over 10 million pounds you need to have support so what does that business look like and you gradually work towards it knowing that you're going to remove yourself from all of these different elements of the business over time and once you've removed yourself so that you could go on holiday for a month and not touch your phone that's probably a good test of if you're an external landlord or not yeah, absolutely. And in uh, Robert Kiyosaki language, I think you move from uh, whatever it is, the uh, investor to business owner or one of those. <laughs> Did I get yes, right? you, you move from one, one project to the other. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, move across. Um, and that's, I, I think you're right. We all do aspire to that. And I think people do get into that thinking that they're going to be, you know, on the beach and, and not have to look at it. And unfortunately, they end up just creating another job for themselves if they don't go down this path of creating the systems and the team. So, you know, for people who are listening, who are in that position, kind of where do they start? Let's say they've got like, you know, a couple of HMOs, a couple of properties, um, but they are self-managing themselves. And it's like, wow, you know, it's kind of a bit out of control now, or they're just not even out of control. They're not giving the customers, the tenants, the level that they know they deserve. <clears throat> so the first thing is to explore third party management now this is a big issue especially if you've got hmos because the amount of good quality managing agents in there and the country is pretty poor um and it does depend where you decided to invest as to how easy this is going to be but don't underestimate how valuable that can be as a resource so for example we got to a point of scale where we decided we wanted to bring quite a bit of our management in-house and that's when we set up Cohome. So Cohome is uh, the UK's first kind of nationwide co-living management agency. So if you've got a good quality HMO, um, so, so we don't really work with middle of the road, as we call them, beige boxes. But if you've got a decent quality <laughs> HMO, basically, if you've developed in the last two or three years, then it's likely that we would want to manage it. And we've got set systems in place to manage remotely and have local presence in the ground on the ground as well. So um, it's something where, where we decided to solve that problem for ourselves and now we're able to solve it for others. So that's something that people could do is, is, is um, contact us about potential Brilliant. management for the people who have that type of property. Um, but in reality, even if you've got one or two properties, those can very quickly eat up your time. Yes. So if you're, if you're still not comfortable going with a management agent, get people in now. Two properties is enough to warrant having somebody doing two hours a week, an hour a week. Um, of admin to get your time back so that you can focus on growing the business and business development which is fundamentally how you're going to get to the, the that tipping point of scale where you don't have to worry about it because that's that's what we're doing we're in this valley of death between buying your first property which does very little for you and buying your 20th property where you're like okay now i'm on the beach 
Yeah, absolutely. It's um, there's certainly a journey to be had and sacrifices to be made because at the end of the day, this is a cost. It's a cost of business. And and I think the struggle a lot of people have is they get into it for to free them out of the day job and to have that cash flow coming in. And they don't want to use that cash flow, which is basically their income, uh, on spending on a, a man, HMO managing agent or, um, or you know, or maintenance issues or whatever. Um, but the, it's a bit backward thinking because they're always going to be doing that. They're never going to be able to free themselves up to move on to bigger things or um, or, or focusing on income generating tasks. And yeah, absolutely. It's massively a mindset thing. Um, and if you don't have the mindset from day one, as you say, it's going to be hard to change your mind in 10 properties time. Yeah. So because your first property is probably not going to change your life. It, um, it's probably worthwhile just saying, well, okay, well, I'm getting a thousand pounds a month from that one. Is it okay if I got 850 or 900 pounds yeah. a month from it and paid someone to help me with the day to day so that I can focus on other things because I've got my day job. I've, and that's time taken up there. And then I'm getting home. I'm getting tired. I'm having to focus with management and maintenance issues rather than you know, my, my precious half an hour a day. I'm looking at right move, making emails, you know, ringing people, going to networking events, so I think it's fundamental that um, it, that people should, especially this is a good good um, thing to do, write a to-stop list. Instead of a to-do list, write a to-stop list. So these <laughs> are all the things that as you're doing it, thinking, I really shouldn't be doing this, write it on a list, and then that becomes your job description for the first member of staff or the first team member that you need. But, uh, and you can get, there's loads of um, great VAs out there which are very cost-effective, whether you go overseas or UK, and they're great um, kind of portals for finding those. So I think that would be a big first yeah. step love that love that um so you've kind of touched on it a few times this and uh, mentioned it in the same sentence the hmo and co-living um co-living isn't something i know it um it became widely used as a term in the yeah. education yeah. world a few years ago um but actually we haven't really interviewed anybody who's who's specifically talking about this so for people who um who, who don't know or just give us your version of what's the difference between HMO and co-living or is it the same thing, just the next level? <laughs> so I think there's a fundamental difference between the two. An HMO is the assets because an HMO is a house multiple occupation, which is as defined by the Housing Act. So um, that is a technical definition of a type of property. Now, co-living is what you do with that property. So we would define co-living as when you create something which has got great space, great design and great service now you don't always have to have great space yeah you know, co-living can occur within lesser properties but the, the whole fundamental about co-living is about the community so co-living community living so to to get community within a house takes a bit of effort because sometimes it happens by accident you get you, you accidentally get a whole load of people in a property that get on and then that makes your life easier because they're getting on they're solving their issues amongst themselves you, you have to hardly speak to them and uh, that's absolutely wonderful but most of the time you're going to have friction between tenants you're going to have uh, people moaning about this and they're coming to you as if you, you're, you're their mum or their dad um and we're trying to avoid that so co-living is 
trying to form an intentional community within a house to reduce your management hassles. And also if you, if you follow those principles of great design, great space and great service, you actually create an asset that people really want to, they fall over themselves to move into them. Uh, we see this all the time in the properties that we take on, that we manage, that we're getting market beating rents and people are staying a lot longer in those properties as well. So therefore our profit, uh, you, you, you've heard the adage, um, you know, uh, so in, turnover is vanity, profit is sanity. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same in, in property because you might have an H, six bed HMO. You think, oh, I created a six bed HMO. It's going to turn over. When it's full, it'll turn over you know, uh, yeah, £2,000 a month, whatever, £2,500 a month. But because you've created something which is a bit substandard or not as appealing, therefore you've got 10% voids. You've got um, more turnover, more tenant find fees. So those costs rack up. Yeah. So what you want to do is increase the amount of time that people stay in each room, decreases the turnover costs and therefore increases your profit. So that's what co-living can do. And um, so to, to summarize, the HMO is the asset and the co-living co bit is really the the, uh, the wrapper or the ether of that property. So it's kind of the soul of the property, really, that yeah. makes it work well. And there are yeah. other things that you can do to, um, well, what we try and do when we manage is to nudge people, call it a nudge theory. We're nudging people into creating those meaningful relationships. We're not just trying to let it, leave it to chance. Okay. So the first port of call is making sure that we're vetting the tenants. We're trying to make sure they fit in with the house, that they're not going to obviously cause friction. You can't get that hundred percent right all the time, but you try and make sure that they're not going to cause friction. And you could use existing tenants to help you choose new tenants as well. And then getting people together. And the best ways to get people together are over food and drink. So mm -hmm. encourage those types of events and games and football matches and Olympics, all these types of things that you can do. Halloween, Christmas, there's, yeah, you can build a, a almost like your own events calendar throughout the year of small things that you can do to encourage them to come together and to form those meaningful relationships. And it's especially important when new people move in, you want to break that ice for them, essentially. Yeah, that's a um, really interesting way. Of, I love the events calendar. <laughs> um, and I know you've got properties in different locations. So um, is your kind of main focus on the co-living just within each household? Or do you try and kind of build a community across houses? Well, well there's, di there's different schools of thought about co-living. So you've got like major large scale, almost like service co-living where people get... So it's like a license on a room in a big block um, of 500 rooms and that large scale co-living they've got lots of they've got the scale they've got the space to do lots of things within that building the gym yeah. the gym and the co-working and and the bar and the cafe and all of that the concierge they've got all of that in that building so that that's one end of the spectrum i think that it's really hard to form community in that type of environment because it's too big yeah. Whereas we know that people form communities within small cells and when those small cells interact with other small cells, it's like a tribal system, really. So with small small, small scale co-living, which is what we're doing with houses ranging from five to 10 and our largest is 20 at the moment, um, rooms within one property, then if you have multiple satellites and then bring them together you're, what you're enabling them to do is to form meaningful relationships within the house and they can form a community and then they can form a larger community with other people and what you're doing is you're trying to keep them within your brand so 
with Cohome, for example, if we've got 10 houses in one quite small location, one postcode, then we can put on an event every six months or so, once a quarter, once a year, um, maybe at a third party venue. Or if we've got a house which has got a large space, they could host. And we just put or we, we put some money behind the bar or throw you know, a bottle of wine there and some beers and and put on something and then what you find is that somebody in this house might form a really really meaningful connection with someone in that house and you can find people moving between your properties and also once they know your level of service so we've got properties in multiple locations if someone wants to move from portsmouth to coventry they say well um that their instant reaction would be go online google room to rent in coventry probably end up on spare room and then go go through available rooms whereas if we can point them to available listings that we have within Cohome, then we can move them around around the portfolio. So I think and I think landlords should and could work together to be able yes. to keep good quality tenants within the portfolio. Yeah. So um, why would true. I pay a tenant fine fee to an agent over here if I know a landlord who's got a room available over there who wants a good quality tenant, this is moving over. Um, so I can pay that landlord a you know, couple of hundred quid or get paid a couple of hundred quid to give them a really good quality tenant who stayed with me for 18 months and just changed the job. They're going to stay with them for two years. So it's you know, ideas like that, difficult to you know, facilitate, but those are problems that just that just need solving. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of, so kind of coming back to the community aspect within the house then, um, so kind of events and especially over food, like, is there anything else that you are, and, and uh, I'm sure this is kind of always in the back of your mind of like, how can we improve what we're doing and how can we kind of support like our tenants? Because, you know, living out of a, out of a HMO room for some, it's, um, it might be the only option because that's all they can afford. Um, and for some people, they choose to live in a HMO rather than a flat because they, you know, and we've seen it all the time, they, they feel alone on in their own flat and they want to be in the HMO because they want to be a part of a community. So are there any other kind of ways that you think oh, you kind of would, even if you couldn't do right now that you would like to do um, to encourage that kind of community feel and support them in, in meeting other people we're just going back back a step um you, you mentioned about people in flats wanting to move into hmos and we've seen that quite a lot with the cost of living going up yes. energy bills and um, because if if energy bills are going to go up in an hmo that increases split between five six seven eight nine people whereas if it's in the house they it's just them um, and there are ways of managing the utilities within a house to make it more more palatable uh, for, for the individual tenants but we also do this exercise where if you look at the average or look at a good one bed studio and look at the room so rooms all included studios got bills on top um and the average person across the well i don't know across the uk but in different areas we've done it, it people can save between two and a half and seven thousand pounds a year by moving into good quality co-living so expensive top of the line co-living Right. saves them thousands of pounds which could help with their cost of living yeah. getting on holidays save for a deposit on a house um so it actually does help people to move up the property ladder quicker as well because they're not struggling with um we, we were trying to sustain um a, yeah. Yeah, a household by themselves which is yeah, really interesting absolutely. yeah it's a it's a it's a real issue at the moment and um and are you finding that there are more is there's definitely more demand 
for HMO rooms um, or is it kind of still plateauing because I know you've got like different areas so how do you see those areas performing? I don't see anything plateauing like the, the only time that we've seen rooms not go is when they've been pitched too high so we've gone oh let's try this and go up more yeah. actually we're we may we may be a little bit out there, but yeah, you got you got to try these things. So if you get any, and you, yeah. normally, you normally get a couple of people go, yes, I want that, and then they're the best rooms, and then you can justify a, you know, a scaled amount of uh, money in there. But generally, that's yeah, a, a quite a lot above the uh, the average rent for an area. But yeah, with with good quality stuff, it generally flies off the shelf. Um, we've you know, you'd have like seventeen applications of viewing requests for a room within twenty four hours in one we've just had last week um you know that's filled in a, in an instant in 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 one area so it, it's it, it's a big thing and there's a big yeah. demand and it's not gonna get any better because yeah. none of the government policies are helping this part of the market well not helping yeah. property in general they're definitely not helping this part of the marketplace and we've got councils who are now starting to 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 actually we've got some councils that are actively helping HMOs to be developed and others that are clamping down on trying to stop them from being developed. Um, so there are some forward thinking councils and some which are going to are causing themselves huge problems. There's they're, they're living 50 years ago on the, this rosy, rose tinted picture of how life is today. And it's just it's just not going to work. And they're going to find themselves with the homelessness problem just getting worse and worse and worse. And then spending millions of pounds on putting people, homeless people in hotels. That's yeah. a waste of money. Absolutely. And in terms of the type of houses and type of HMOs, do you find that, um, it's, you know, people, is there a difference between like a nine or 10 bed HMO and like a four or five bed? Did the four or five beds always go for a premium or are people happier to live with more, do you think? Depends on the, on the layout of the property. So I think this is where clever design can help. So you can have a 20 bed HMO. My, so my 20 bed is divided into um, six flats and a studio. So that's essentially how it's how it's divided. We're doing a 13 bed, which is um, got one massive open plan living kitchen area. And then um, and then a couple of rooms on the ground floor. First floor is all bedrooms. Second floor has got um, basically two, like two big studios plus their own kitchen, which is accessible. And the people on the first floor can either go up or they can go down. So. Okay. Some, some people will feel more like they've got more private space. Others will feel more like they're using more yeah. communal space. But the rooms are all big. If they wanted to, they could bring a microwave. Yeah, we're not going to stop people from, from living their lives. Um, but I think people generally want – you can't go too big and make it feel what like does, – What does that mean, though? Too big. For me, too big uh, in one go is probably more than eight – um right. doesn't stop people doesn't stop um, us from doing like 10 I mean, we've got a couple of clients that are doing 10 and 13 beds and they're really nice schemes because it's a combination of studio rooms and uh, you know, really large doubles so you, you've got different facilities and amenities in different places for people with different needs yeah. um, so shift worker might want as the studio room because they're less likely to use the kitchen when everyone else is home so they just want to keep to themselves that's fine not everyone's going to want to form part of a massive community but if you have an event they might well come to an event every six months and, and mingle so this gives them that opportunity to feel like they're part of a community even if they don't actively participate in it so i think the the the, the sweet spot is around four to five people yeah. feeling like they're in a community for an investment the sweet spot is seven and with current mortgage rates probably eight beds mm -hmm. to make it work 
say with an eight bed you you can still create like a separate two communal areas so you've got one larger one maybe one smaller one so that someone can go and you know cook a bowl of pasta uh, in, in a kitchenette on the second floor rather than having to go all the way down to the first floor so it's about clever design right and, and you mentioned before about the rooms all being big what's your optimal room size for you know to have a kind of a tenant that's really comfortable in their room and and happy with that space but also from a investor point of view of uh, you know what it's going to cost you. Uh, the number we get banded around quite a lot in our in our deal clinics and um, amongst ourselves about fifteen square meters, including the ensuite. So yeah. the ensuite could be two and a half square meters, or it could be four square meters, um, depending on the the um, yeah. constraints of the building. So we we do do like minimum we do like nine hundred by nine hundred shower tray, um, but you can make a, an ensuite which is compact and still usable and nice and then you can also create an ensuite which has got our, our ideal is 1200 by 900 shower tray and then the the rectangle that goes with that so that will be what we'd aim for and 15 square meters generally gives us about 11 12 square meters of floor space and the ensuite and then we'll also build in things like, like furniture so if we can get the furniture built in again it clears floor space for them to feel like they've got more uh, more space for their own stuff um, but maximum we probably want to go is 20. Anything above 20, then it's becoming more like a studio, probably a bit more of a waste of space. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, uh, you're also then, there's also a school of thought, which says you make the rooms as small as possible, so they're more likely to use the communal facilities and therefore more likely to form communities. So there is a school of thought in doing larger scale co-living that you make the bedroom 10 square metres with a two square meter on suite say so that they're like yes this is nice to to sleep in it's nice to get changed in but if i want to eat or watch telly i'm going to go somewhere else um so that that's a school of thought so we say i think a mix of you know, i wouldn't go below that because I'm, I'm not a fan of single bedrooms and single beds because it feels more like a yeah that's you know, more like a student hall of, of the 90s yeah. um but yeah that, that's probably about the range that we would work with okay and um Obviously, you know, HMOs, certainly they've been around forever <laughs> with the student properties yeah. um, and they're very well established, you know, a well established strategy within the property education world for many years. Um, it, it, you know, if we're talking about trends, there's more of a shift that's been happening towards service accommodation now. So how do you see, you know, if, if someone were to say, oh, you know, it's so saturated in my market for HMOs, um, What's your feeling towards that? Um, I'd say it's a load of nonsense. <laughs> um, so um, that the HMO market is not saturated anywhere in the country. There is a, a lack of HMOs and good quality HMOs everywhere. Um, and the way that you combat this, let's say that you feel like you're saturated. Um, you, you just need to be in the top 5% of your market. And this is the, the, one of the messages from the book. In fact, it's the strap line. Uh, you know, get into the top 5% of your market and you will always rent out whether the, the market's hot, um, whether they're in a recession. It's it's the same as, you know, um, it's the, the, the analogy I use is the Mac and a PC. So a Mac is like four times the price of a PC, but it's its own thing. It's its own unique, it has its own unique identity. It's not a computer. It's not called a computer. It's called a Mac. It's called a MacBook Pro, MacBook, you know, air whatever it is 
Whereas everything else, you just say, I'm just getting a laptop. You don't go, I'm getting a Sony or an Asus or an Acer or whatever. whatever they. I don't even know half the brands. You go in, you don't really care about the brand. You care about the price. That's commoditized. Whereas if people know you and your brand for standing out and being different, then they want to move into your house, your property, because it's yours. It's a co-home. And it's important to have a bit of brand identity. And that's part of the method um, at the very beginning that we teach at the HMO platform and that we apply within our own business. It's got Baker Properties. Um, because if you can make your property unique and stand out from the crowd, then you get more inquiries, you get more options to choose from, from you know, good quality tenants. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, how do you see the, you know, the next, like, let's say 12, 24 months looking with the you know recession and uh, obviously we've, we've talked about the demands in HROs but uh, are you doing anything different for the next couple of years with your well, investing? Well, um, sort of something I actually forgot from your previous question about service accommodation yes there has been a shift to service accommodation um, I think that's a temporary shift because that's going to be highly legislated and regulated shortly because that is more that's causing more of a problem for housing market because you're creating second homes you're taking away rent um, you know, long-term housing stock and we get tarnished with that same brush with hmos we're taking away family homes but actually we're taking one family home that housed maybe three people four people and now we're housing eight people using that same space and just really re reconfiguring it, reconfiguring it and creating great design and a great space for people to live in. So we're actually increasing the supply of property. A lot of the, you know, the government doesn't really see that. Well, the government might, but the local councils don't really see that at all because they think everyone should live in a family home and everyone can afford a family home, which is not true. So um, which serves accommodation um, when from April onwards, I don't know whether it's going to come in in April, but the new Living Up Regeneration Bill, you've got two to three times the council tax burden on service accommodation. Um, yes, there is a demand for it, but uh, even in Wales, you're starting to see there's a new planning use class. You can't just go and do it in Wales anymore. Um, so it's, it'll be the same. I've no doubt it'll be the same in the UK at some point in the near future that you'll have to get planning um, for your service accommodation probably a bit like what happened with hmos when c4 use class came in i'm pretty sure there'll be like a c5 use class which comes yeah. in for service accommodation um or they'll continue to penalize you financially which is odd because there, there's tax breaks um on it for your mortgage in, in one breath so they're incentivizing it in one way but then they're um penalizing you in another and then they're 100% penalizing the people who are actually providing long-term homes for people and that's section 24 all that kind of stuff it's it's backwards beyond belief george osborne has you know i've seen quite a lot of posts about this has, has screwed the the rental market bank of england even said it last week um that um the, the, the government's policy on housing is causing a major problem and there's not gonna be enough housing stock for rental or for for home ownership yeah, it's um, it, it's really interesting to kind of be in the middle of it while it's all changing and and watching everybody who um, <clears throat> certainly uh, are using it as a short term strategy when actually it is a long term business. Um, so people really need to be thinking about future proofing what they're doing right now before those changes come in. Yeah, um, and with good my thoughts on. Yeah, my thoughts on the market. So I, I keep answering questions you're not asking. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> like a politician. Um, so in answer to your question about the market, I think we're already seeing the market drop. We're seeing deals getting done now that weren't possible six months ago. So um, 
for example, in the last couple of months, we've had two deals agreed um, and we've got another three that work really good and we've got them exclusively access. So by the end of this week, beginning of next week, we'll know we'll have another three or four that uh, we'll probably be sourcing on to other investors. So it's something that we started to do now is because we're looking to build our management brand. We're not just buying these ourselves, we're either joint venturing or or sourcing them on and, and being the, that development partner. Uh, so that's something which we're we're really excited about. So we can do more at scale. So don't have to raise as much money for our stuff, but then and, and be able to do our stuff, and then also to to um to to develop for others. We've got that team in place who's just itching to go and has been itching to go for the last twelve or eighteen months, where it's been yeah. slow. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so you mentioned there about working with investors. Is it just one specific area that you work with, or? Um, yeah, so generally we're working in in the southeast now. Um, so these are these are higher value properties, slightly higher value properties, but the huge demand for rental. And therefore, the rents are really good. So you can get a, a yeah a decent cash flow from them. Uh, we get you decent uplift as well. Um, so yeah, you, you're you're looking at um you know, decent a, a good return um on, on investment. Uh, and also investors that are just looking to park money. So some of the people we're working with are just saying, well, I'm happy with that yield. Um, so you just go ahead and develop it and I'm just doing it all in cash. There's quite a few of those types of investors around. Um, and you know, probably the people listening to this are interested in how do I recycle my cash? How do I reduce my return on investment? Um, and that is the, that's the few of to look at the number of investors that's the few the many are people that are just happy with a six percent return on their money yeah. um let's just park it i've got a million quid that's what six percent and that income i don't want any of the hassle you deal with it um so those type of investors work really well for us because we can just go and develop and um, they get our quality product our award-winning quality product and yeah. they um, then get our management as well which we hope will soon be award-winning and um then we can uh, um and then we can provide amazing homes and more of them brilliant Right. Well, that's probably a good place to wrap up. Um, where can people find out more about what you're up to and, and follow you? So on social media, I'm at clearly Matt Baker across all platforms. Yep. And um, I've just started on TikTok as well. So slow. <laughs> following. <Good brief. laughs> so uh, I have someone who's doing that for me. So they're, they're teaching yeah. actually what I'm supposed to be doing and, and how to do that. Um, but also um, if they want to reach out, they can contact me via social media. Um, or um, check out the hmoplatform.co.uk for more information about how we work with um, other clients. Um, and uh, they can check and, and get the training, next, level landlord. Yeah. next Level Landlord is available on Amazon and all good bookshops. Brilliant. Well, we will put the links to all of those in the show notes for everybody and uh, the interesting times ahead. So we'll keep in touch and, and watch what's happening next. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Michelle. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Loads of, uh, loads of value for us today. Um, right, for everyone else who is not yet a subscriber to the magazine, please click the link in the show notes for your free 30-day trial, and we will see you next time. Take care, guys. Bye.